In the fall each year we all congregate The bound all gathered at the church of Pilgrim The scriptures reading from the book of Monson Our favorite verse, my God, a precious Drunk and obnoxious, what Georgia faith Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday in that thing Welcome to the Saturday in Athens podcast. We're a Georgia Bulldogs show. I'm your host, Seth Saunders, joined as always by my co-host, James Kim. And homie, we're in our favorite spot. We're doing the, the old school, both host car tape. I am here for it. I just need to know this. Well, in Virginia, is it like it is here in South Carolina and like I'm sure it is in the classic city in Georgia as well? Homie, it is hotter than a $2 pistol in the Palmetto State. Yeah, it is in the high 80s, low 90s, on and off today, and the humidity is just, it's rough. It's rough today. I mean, took a shower this morning, walk out fully dressed for work, and it was like I jumped into a bath, fully clothed. Yep. Like, I just, whoo, your boy is ready for some fall now. And just for the record, anyone who sees this video and sees me in a sweatshirt, just so you know, I am in my car with the AC on full blast. It is not 90 degrees in my car, just so you know. It is my boy's favorite outfit, though. If he can have yeah. a, a hooded sweatshirt on, life is good. So yeah. <laughs> he's living his best life. <laughs> Hoodie, shorts, flip-flops. That's that's my go-to all, at all that's times. It. That's or it. a quarter zip. Or a quarter zip. Or Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you rock a quarter zip, too. And then if he's going to get real spicy, he might throw a visor on for y'all. Yeah, maybe. That's usually my Saturday attire. Throw a visor on for, especially if I, especially if I'm coaching coaching my girls' soccer teams. Got to keep the sun out of my face. I am blind as a bat, so. You know the only thing that I think about, and this is probably a little bit sick and twisted, but all I think about when I am in weather like this, I just have emotional flashbacks <laughs> to wearing them nasty practice jerseys and doing. 7 a.m. mat drills, then rolling yep. straight out full pads, roll until 11.30, and then pick your tire, get that weight belt, pull that tire on that dusty-ass practice field, <laughs> take, your, yep. take, your, take your hour nap in the dark, cold gym, lay on top of a wrestling mat, and then get dressed in them soggy-ass pants to go back for practice number two. Number two. <laughs> And then depending on the day, you never knew what the three o'clock ending of the day uh, running was going to be, whether it was going to be corners, relays, who knew what, what God awful hell coach Jones was going to have for us that day. Oh man. I, I traded on a minute. I'd risk it all for that again, brother. Yeah. It's funny, man. Uh, my nephew's playing. And so I was talking to, to my brother about it and he was Telling me about the practice. I said, but man, they, they outlawed two a days, or is that like still things? No, they got two a days. He's like, but they start the first one at five o'clock, and then the second one starts at seven thirty. I said, man, that don't count. That's not that's all practice. Yeah, that that don't count. Man, you got to like first off, two a days biggest misnomer ever. It should just be called all days. We had all day practice today. Like two a days makes it seem like you got some kind of break. You maybe got a little refreshment in between. Nope, it's just an all day. 
I remember when uh, Coach Jones left our, our high school alma mater and went to his hometown the first time before he came back. And um, a bunch of the current players were there, and I went to his going away party. And I was like, man, y'all boys don't understand, because that's when he started doing the night practices. I was like, because he was doing the two days at night. And I was like, y'all boys don't understand. Y'all started practice at 530. Man, that's nothing compared count. to what we went through. That doesn't count. That's not two counts. No, man. Coach, coach got soft. That boy got soft. So I wonder if he's going back to it now that his girls are older. Because that's, that's the excuse he used. Let's just throw this out, too. We had, like, the best high school coach. Number one, our boy would roll out wearing full cleats for practice. <laughs> which was just my all-time favorite. I mean, come out like he was fixing to do to Oklahoma with you. No pads. Like, he was going to go straight Australian rules, rugby football with you. Oh, man, I miss him. I miss him. And, he, and y'all, he didn't cuss because he was, he was setting a good example. He was living with the Lord. So he wouldn't cuss. But, you know, you still get frustrated. And so, like, stuff would come out that was, you know, you thought was fixing to be a cuss. <laughs> but it just... Just never, just never made it. I mean, look, if he said it with the right inflection and voice, gosh dog it could sound worse than just about any four-letter word y'all can throw at me. I'm just going to put that out there. Look, he was my coach for from JV in eighth grade, you know, and on through four years of high varsity. Dag Nabbit. Jimmy was that was my name. So or Dagnabbit Jimbo, that was my name. Like it wasn't James, it wasn't, you know, 53, it was Dagnabbit Jimmy. So that was my name for 4 years, 5 years. I got I got to tell this story. We're going to talk about dogs football y'all, I promise, but let let Jimmy and I just relive the glory days here for a minute. <laughs> Do you remember the day? Now, let's set this up for y'all. We ran a old school straight T offense okay so quarterback three running backs spread out the two the three and the four okay and then just straight double tight line like homie if we split somebody out you would have thought we were rich rodriguez west virginia back in them (laughs) days (laughs) we threw the ball maybe i mean you know pre when he started doing the no huddle stuff What, what do you think we threw it my eighth grade year, your ninth grade year, like seven times a game, maybe. If that, I mean, that's generous. I will say this, though. Led probably the entire Commonwealth of Virginia in yards per attempt. <laughs> that is true. That is true. 26 reverse pass was good for about 45 every single time called. <laughs> it's because no one ever well, expected it. So anyways, we had a play, well, two play. You know, you're in a trap play. So we would run, what, 30, 31 trap, right? I was 33 trap. He ran, a, he ran into his 33 trap. He didn't, he called 31 trap. He called it 33 trap for some reason. Well, so, but if you were the quarterback, to make that happen, it wasn't a straight, like, open up. You had to, like, step back almost like you were pivoting to then run the triple option down the line and, and read the end, right? Well, so... You know, I was eighth grade, but coach was letting me practice up at the varsity to, like, get experience, whatever. So, I, man, I can just remember intuitive. Remember big Rick Martin playing the three who, <laughs> man, y'all ain't, y'all ain't want to see Rick Martin. That boy done laid some people out. So, anyways, Rick's coming barreling down the hole here to catch his hand off, and I must have screwed it up. God, I don't know, man, like eight or nine times. 
And, you know, Coach Jones come from halfway across the field, blown gosh, dog, it's Seth Saunders. You're never going to be able to run this trap, right? So, anyways, dude, about the 10th time, right, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to sweep this leg so far out that, like, the pulling guard could run through this hole, if need be, with Rick. And so I pull that thing out, and Rick runs straight through there, grabs a handoff, and, like, busts up the middle. Whistle blows. I see Coach coming, and I feel like I can see the steam coming out of his ears. <laughs> and he drops that, gosh, dog it, Seth Saunders. We got it right. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> and it was like the greatest moment in the history of my football career. <laughs> the, um, the, the scale of emotions that I went through in that 35 seconds, y'all don't even know. Like the panic that was inside of me when he blew the whistle that last time. Woo. Oh, man. Good old days, brother. Um, anyways, so dogs are back in camp. And look, it's been hot there, too. Did you see the picture of Coach Shoe today? Rolling yeah. out full, full sweatsuit. My man. Oh, I love it. That dude, is, that dude is just defense to the core. That's just an I'm hard move. That's like, we'll go back to our coach. Coach Jones, whether it was negative 10 degrees or 110 degrees, our man only wore shorts. Only. That's another thing he switched up. Now, he wears pants now. But not when we played. Shorts only. Yes, and it was only the, – the, the length of the shirt depended on the weather. It was never a sweatshirt. It was either a T-shirt or a polo, and it was a polo with a long sleeve shirt underneath of it when we played. Correct. That's it. You, never a sweatshirt. Usually, nothing. Usually the old school, you know, waffle cone – Long John yeah. underwear, long sleeve. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Yep. I have seen it. him a couple of times, like in like a in like a jacket now with like a hood and stuff. Especially if it's raining, I'm like, what is this? Who is this guy? I know, man. He's, I'm telling you, getting got soft in his old age. That's what's happened. Yeah. So, anyways, that that picture, Coach Shoe, cracked me up. So, scrimmage this weekend. Main things I heard out of Kirby's press conference were number one, uneven quarterback play, which I think that's probably expected. I feel like he's always a little lukewarm on the quarterbacks, especially at the beginning of camp. I am interested to see as we get closer here to September 2nd if there starts to be some more definitive language. Because, look, man, we've said this on the show a gajillion times, but Kirby will tell you what's going on. You just got to be listening for it, which is why head coach Kirby Paul Smart brought up Cash Jones again in the press conference. So – I'm just telling y'all, Cash Jones fixing to get some run. Y'all can mark that right now, August 14th. Cash Jones fixing to get some carries on September 2nd. No? No, he definitely is. And I would not be surprised. It would not surprise me, depending on Paul's health, if he's the two. Because Rod has never taken a carry, and he's, I mean, he's so big, he's not that, he's a different back. He's just a different style. Like, he's your... He's your short yardage, you know, run you over for five yards type guy. He's not your scat back type running. He's not he's not that style. I would not be surprised if Cash is your two behind Dejon, you know, opening day. Well, he you know, he keeps harping on, you know, he can catch the football in the backfield. Which and we talked about this, I can't remember if it was last week or the last time we talked, but you know, who's gonna be Kenny? Who is going to replace Kenny in that role where we can split out or we can, you know, I, it may be Cash Jones. I mean, that's what I'm hearing in these press conferences. And y'all, we didn't jinx it, so don't 
come holler at us, but Kendall's got a hamstring again. So we have no idea what that's going to look like. They say that it's not as bad as it could be and all this stuff, but it's a hamstring and he plays a position where you need speed and burst. So I don't know, man. I, I hope he gets healthy very quickly because it's like we talked about. I think he's a thousand yard back if he's healthy, but unfortunately that has become such a big if that who knows? And yeah, I don't, it's just gonna be interesting. I mean, what do you, the other thing that makes me nervous about Branson's injuries being a foot, like I don't, man, I don't like foot injuries when it comes to football players. I just, all that weight, all that load, all that burst. So what's your feel on smile? I don't think we see Branson or Smile before October at the earliest. Oh, don't tell me that. I don't, I don't think there's. I don't think there's a reason to rush either one of them back. We've got South Carolina week three, but realistically, yep. before October, the the main thing with them is going to be getting them back in football shape because they're just not. I mean, they weren't able to go through the full off season like everyone else, and right now they're basically going through their off yeah. season now. And they're not still not 100%. So I feel like that they're going to work their way back to 100% and go through their offseason and their conditioning stuff now to get back up to football speed. So I think they're going to be worked back in slowly. We may see them SC, but I would and I would be surprised. We may see them dress out. Kind of remember um, like how Dom came in and he started to dress out and he get a couple of plays and yeah. how Arian came back. Arian came back, got a couple of plays, but he wasn't really playing a lot. And then all of a sudden, boom! He got his started getting his regular reps in toward the you know towards uh like Tennessee. I think that that's how yeah. we're going to see them. How we're going to see Branson smile, but I just don't see them. There's no need to rush them back right now, especially smile Branson. Maybe depending on how everything shakes out, week one and two. I just but like you said, foot injuries. You just don't want to push it. Kendall, I, I'll be truly honest with you. I don't see this being a quick turnaround because of the hamstring. I think they were hoping it was going to be. And I think after it being, cause this, this happened first practice, I think with yeah. it being, we're now removed from it. What a week and a half now. And it's just, I don't think they're where he, he's not where they want him to be a week out, week and a half out. I think they're thinking it's going to be longer. Yeah. Which I hate that for him. Cause he just can't stay. Yeah, man, he just needs, he needs a year. I mean, he's, in a lot of ways, it's it's reminiscent of Arian Smith, which all reports for Arian have been good thus far in camp. And I believe that if he stays healthy for the entire season, oh, it's going to be an electric factory for him. So, yeah, man, I, I hope that Kendall's healthy soon. But to your point, I, I mean, that's valid. Look, the South Carolina game's at home. Maybe I would feel a little more urgency about it if it was at Williams-Brice, but the first real test is going to be on the planes. So I don't think you want to be rushing people back unless you have to. And I think that's the first weekend where you feel like, okay, it's imperative that we're as close to full strength as possible right here to run this gamut. And really, man, after that, well, I don't know. I Kentucky at home scares me less, I think, than going to Lexington. But – Mark Stoops always got a tough group. We'll see how things go at the quarterback position for them. Um, I, in all honesty, think their offense will be better this year without Will Levis. I do too. I was never super inspired by him, so I I think they got a chance to be a little more electric this year. 
Let me ask you this. This is more a college football at large question. We are taping on a Monday, and we're going to release Laura Rutledge's episode tomorrow, which is Tuesday. I asked her this question, and I'm interested in your answer. Who is the team nationwide that you are most interested in or has the most compelling story for you going into this season? Surprise answer for you. Notre Dame. Ooh, I like this. Go with it. Let me hear it. I really was surprised at how lackluster they were last year. And I like Freeman as a coach. And bringing in Hartman, because they basically said, our defense is good enough. And our defense is good enough to really make some noise. So we bring in Hartman to revamp that offense because their offense was putrid last year. I mean, and it wasn't just quarterback play. It was straight up top to bottom. They had Mayer who was a stud at a tight end. Their line was not bad, but it was not up to Notre Dame standards in the past. You know I mean? They have all, they have, um, you know, all American caliber offensive linemen often on that offensive line. And they now have all pros in the NFL on that offensive line often. So they, they were just, their caliber was way low. They never really have stud running backs, but they don't really need them because their line plays so good. They just need people to produce and their wide receivers, usually same thing. Their wide receivers are just average, but they produce this year for Notre Dame for me is make or break. Cause now they're going to going into next season with all the realignment talk. They're not joining a conference. I know it's going to be a 12 team playoff, but they've proven time and time again that they can't do it when it come, when the uh, lights are bright with four teams. How's it going to be when it's 12 teams and they got to win all those extra games? I really think if they don't make some noise this year, Notre Dame really kind of goes back into obscurity and we go back into the early 2000s type of Notre Dame teams where they're just kind of that eight and five, eight and six, where they're bouncing through coaches over and over and over again before Brian Kelly got there. And I hate that for Freeman because I think he's a hell of a coach. And I think he has really good potential to be a great coach, but maybe just not at Notre Dame. What do you think about the Hartman transfer? Because I'll be honest, it struck me as a little odd. Obviously, if you listen to our show, you know, we're big fans of Sam Hartman, love what he did at Wake. But I think Sam's skill set fits a very specific offensive scheme. And look, maybe I'm wrong about that, okay? I'm not trying to pigeonhole him. But it seems to me he got some feedback that, look, your draft capital is not as high as you want it to be. And if you go to Notre Dame and season for another year, we think you got a better shot. And what I mean by season is I think they want to see him in a more pro-style offense. But I don't know if for Notre Dame that's what you want to do, right? I think if I was running the offense for Notre Dame, I would do exactly what fits his skill set, which is doing a lot of the mesh stuff. I mean, you know, Wake Forest has got that long mesh, and he can pull or go, and it leaves a lot of open space, and they busted a lot of huge plays, scored a lot of points. And so how effective is he if they're not running a system like that? Well, I think part of the reason that he got that feedback is the rule change in the NFL. You can no longer have that 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 type of handoff in the NFL. That's a penalty now. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. It is one of the. I don't understand the rule change. Like, and I don't quite. I haven't seen. I haven't watched enough preseason. I've watched. I've watched about 
25 total preseason plays so far because I, I hate the preseason, but I love watching the dogs. So um, I haven't seen it a penalty called on it yet, and I don't exactly know how it's going to be implemented, but like you can't do the handoff where like a wide receiver runs in motion and you hand it off in front of them. Like you can't hand it off in where the ball's in front of you. You can do it where it's to the side, like do the like um, the veer, you know, um, the run pass option where the ball's to the side, the running back's to the side of you, but you can't do it where the running back's in front of you and you can't pull it and then run behind them. Like the like how Baltimore runs it a lot. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. And that's kind of how Wake Forest runs it. Dude, their mesh. So because the Wake Forest will run the slow, the slow mesh. Their mesh is so long. And like I think because of that, you kind of get sucked down a little bit if you're playing in the back seven. And so like, yeah, I, I'm just interested. I, I think that's a great pick because they are very compelling for me too. Number one, it's year two for Marcus Freeman and obviously Notre Dame people are not patient so they're going to need to show something this year obviously they have a enormous opportunity to do that playing Ohio State early so they're gonna get tested real quick and I you know that's a really really compelling early season matchup but yeah man that that's a that's a good one I'm gonna throw some other ones at you Wisconsin super interested in Wisconsin so you got Tanner Mordecai there. They're going to run a wide-open offense, which feels almost dirty coming out of my mouth, saying that about a Wisconsin team. <laughs> um, you know, you're used to, like, <laughs> Joe, Joe Thomas and Barry Alvarez's teams and Paul Christ and Brett Bielema, and we're just going to punch you in the mouth and jump around is going to come in the fourth quarter, and we need to jump around because we've kind of been asleep for the last three quarters. And so – it's not going to be that way no more. I mean, they're going to be jumping around from opening kick, baby. It, it's fixing to be electric. And, like, Luke Fickle there, I think Luke Fickle is about to be a weapon in the Big Ten recruiting at Wisconsin. So, I mean, look, I have told you this one bajillion times. That is, like, on my football trip bucket list to go watch a game at Camp Randall just because I love Madison so much. But so, dude, they're on my list. How about Oregon State? Not just because of – the roster they have coming back and the season they had last year, transfer with DJU, but also it's kind of an opportunity to be like, hey, look, everybody's leaving us, but we're valuable type thing. Don't you think? Like almost like a, their, their final letter to college football that, hey, look, we're still relevant here in Corvallis. So, man, I think they're interesting. How about your boy Big Penix Energy up in – up in Washington. Yeah. I, you know, I, I love Michael Penix. I, I'll i respond to all three of them. Uh, Oregon State, I love. I think Oregon State's defense is just stout. And they're yeah. in the Pac-12. Nobody plays defense. So they already yeah. got the leg up. Now, we don't know how Oregon's going to look on defense this year, given landing year two. So we'll kind of see how he gets to put his real mark on it on a bringing an SE style defense to the Pac-12. So we'll kind of see how that looks this year. But Oregon State defense was great last year and they really didn't lose a lot. I think bringing DJU over there yep. uh, will be great because I think they're going to let him play to his skill set and not try to, you know, put a square peg in a round hole like he, they did at Clemson. And yeah. he's not going to be under so much pressure there. So I think he's going to really be able to show his skill set. 
Um, I like Oregon State. I think Oregon State has a really good shot at 10 wins and going to really provide a lot of you know fun atmosphere um, this year. Yeah. Now, in regards to Wisconsin, I think they're going to be better next year. I think they're more yeah. of a 2024 story. I think they're going to be – it's going to be interesting to see how they look this year because it's going to be so just weird. Um, but we're not going to be seeing those. They're not going to be able to bet the under as much on them this year. Let's just correct. say it that way. Yes, correct. Because And it may not be because they're scoring. It may be because they're turning the ball over so much. And I love Mordecai. I really do. I think he's yeah. got a shot to really put up some big numbers there. But I just I feel like they're a year away because they're going to need – Fickle's going to need a little bit more time to get his guys in there. I love, love, love Washington. I really, really hope that this is the year. I mean, they haven't really been in it. And really, it hasn't really felt like they've had a real shot since they made the playoff. And they kind of came out of nowhere that year to make the playoff. What was that? 20? Yeah. Was that 2014? Was that the first year? Uh, or was that 2015? Hold on. It was early on. I, I know it was early in. It was early I on. I don't know if it was. Was it 2014? I don't know if it was 2014. For some reason, I want to say 2016, but that might not be right either. I mean, Chris Peterson. It was, was really early on. It was one of the first few ones. Yeah, but I mean, either way, it's they've got a really good squad. They've got a good quarterback, but it's really going to come down to them and Oregon on that side, in my opinion. They've got the two best quarterbacks. I think Oregon's, which maybe less compelling because they had such a good year last year. However, Dan Lanning year two. Bo Nix coming back when he could have left, and which he seemed to get more and more comfortable as the year went on. So, I, dude, I, in a lot of ways, this is going to sound weird coming out of my mouth, but Pac 12 kind of compelling. Lots of compelling storylines in the Pac 12 this year, especially given the circumstance that the conference is essentially going to be no more. I mean, what are, what's, what's the stories now saying that the four that are left? try to cannibalize the Mountain West, and that becomes the new Pac-12. I mean, that's kind of what they're saying, right? But yeah, because the the whole the whole what was it was it Cal and Stanford or was it Washington and Stanford to get to go to the ACC? Cal and Stanford. All right, and that that the kibosh got put on that. So yeah, because four teams voted no. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that Greg Sankey came out, and I thought made a pretty not guarded, but direct statement without addressing things about expansion and what they were going to do. They seem pretty set at 16, almost kind of like a message across the bow that, Hey, Florida state and Clemson, we're not so interested, which is, that was kind of the question I'd asked you. And I asked my brother was the whole push with all of these expansions has been television markets. Well, what television market, does Tallahassee and Clemson, South Carolina pull, right? And so like the argument to that is, well, they've been such good programs. My argument to that though is take away Jameis Winston in what, what year was that? 2013. When has Florida, when has Florida state been relevant in the last 15 years? Maybe longer than that. It's like I, I feel like we romanticize a lot because we love college football, and that's what it is, right? There's all this sentiment. We romanticize Florida State for what they were in the 90s. We romanticize Miami for what they were in the 80s, 90s, and the beginning of the 2000s. But, like, 
those programs aren't that anymore. So I think their value is bloated, is, I guess is what I'm putting forward. And I think that's kind of what Greg Sankey was hinting at is, look, we're not, we're not on board. You guys want to come here. It, this ain't it. At this point, would Clemson and Florida State even get the same deal as Washington and Oregon to come over? Not, not with the SEC. I don't think they would. No, I mean with the Big Ten. Like, would they even get the same deal that they oh. got with the Big Ten? Because that was part um, of the reason of getting those two voted in was they were getting so much less money through this current deal. Yeah, I mean, look, that's something I think the Big Ten has to navigate because the more people they add, it's it's more pieces of the pie, which, again, if you're the TV networks, you kind of got to start going, well, how much value add is it to have this team? Like, how much value add is it to have UCLA playing Rutgers on our docket? Like, I, I don't know. I just, I don't know how the economics are going to work out on that, but I don't know, man. It's, it's going to be... Super interesting. I, I want to ask you another question. I saw uh, Josh Pate ask this on his show, and I think it's an interesting question. You have to have 2007 college football for the rest of your life, or you have to have 2024 college football for the rest of your life. Which one do you choose? Meaning the style of football, like the BCS, or meaning just that chaotic no, no. year? The rules. Oh, the rules. No, the rules. Oh, okay. 2007, BCS is how we determine a champion. 2024, playoff and realign conferences is how we determine the champion. Give me 2007 every day of the week. Yeah, man. I'm, it, 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 it's got me in a pretzel because while I loathe the realignment piece of the 2024 puzzle, and the loss of regionality and tradition that comes with it, which we get to keep if I pick 2007. I hated the BCS with the fire of a thousand suns because I just thought it was such an inequitable way to decide a champion, right? And everybody always is going to moan and complain, oh, it's value a regular season and blah, blah, blah. Well, like, dude, if your best player gets hurt, week two and you lose a game week three and then he comes back for the rest of the year and you don't lose a game in the BCS area, you don't get to play for the title. Well, is that just, <laughs> I mean, I just think having a playoff is a more representative model for who is the best team at the end of the season. Like for example, you could make a very, very strong argument that Alabama may have been the second best team in the country at the end of the year last year, fully healthy. No. Yeah. And in a, in a bigger playoff, they get a bite at that apple and I'm all for that. So it's tough for me, man. I, cause okay, let's, let me play devil's advocate with you. Okay. 2007 rules, no Georgia national championship in 2021. We don't even make the national championship in 2017. So that's what I'm saying. Like I, I think people go hard and fast on like 2007, and it's like, well, your Georgia fan might want to think about that. I, I agree <laughs> with all of that, but I'm I'm looking at the bigger picture of the. If you were t putting me against 2021 rules in 2007, that's different. Or even if you're putting me like. 
giving me the two. Th- if you're giving me the fourteen playoff in 2024, I'm taking that probably over 2007. It's the twelve team playoff plus the realignment versus. 2007, I'm taking 2007. It's all the changes in one fell swoop that are coming to college football next year. Plus, plus NIL being legal, plus the transfer portal, all of that. It's every single thing that has changed in college football really in the span of four years at that point once it'll all be done. Yeah. That's my, that's what I'm taking out of it to go back to 2007. Really, if you take us back, it could be, let's take a, I would be happy with 2014 rules, you know, to get the playoff. Yeah. And not have any of the crap after after that. Yeah. Give me just give me 2014. Like I just I'm fine with the playoff. I hate the BCS just like you do. I completely agree. The BCS sucks. It was terrible. I hated the fact that a computer was choosing based off of the computer was taking data based off of human polls and the fact that a game where the number one team beats uh UL Monroe 63 to 7 counts the same as number, you know, 2 beating number 3 63 to 7. You know, it, it didn't make any sense. I I guess my other devil's advocate argument with NIL is in an NIL world, Todd Gurley doesn't get suspended. So like, this is what I'm saying, man. There are like pretzel answers on this. Like there are things that have adversely affected I hate NIL. I hate it. I hate it the way it's currently constructed. I hate it the way it's currently constructed. I think I could talk myself into 2024. I'm just saying that. Which is should be the all-time shocker of all shockers on this television on this program. <laughs> but you gotta understand, we've had it from both ways. Like I look at it if if I was born today and I was only ever gonna experience 2024, I wouldn't mind yeah. it. Okay. And that's fair. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Or if I was a kid, like if I was if I was your younger children and I was really only going to ever experience 2024 onward as a college football fan, I really yeah, wouldn't hate fair. it. But having the experience of being a child and going through where there were four different champions crowned in the 90s yeah. at times and then going through the BCS era and then going through the playoff era and then going through what we're getting ready to go through right now. If I have to choose one of those, I'm choosing tw- the 2014 playoff era, like before the NIL changes and the conference realignment. But if I have to choose between 2007 BCS and 2024 cluster, which we're getting ready to get next year, I'm probably going to choose 2007 BCS. I'm telling you, man, it's a, it's a pretzel answer for me. I love it, though. It's such a great question. <laughs> I will, however, say, though, the first time I set foot at a home playoff game at UGA will probably change my mind. Yeah, I, that's what I'm saying, man. It's it's just a it's a tough thing for me to get hard and fast on one way or the other. But yeah, I love the question. Um, all right, homie. Well, that's all I got this week. Those are all the things I got you all ginned up, which is just what I wanted. I love a I love a ginned up, James. So, um, mission accomplished. <laughs> all right, homie. Well, we got more to come, man. We're getting closer and closer. Nineteen days away. Woo. We're in the teens, baby. So close. So close. All right. Well, I can't wait to see that beautiful, can't wait to see that beautiful bearded face next week. <laughs> Sounds good, brother. Until then, go dogs. Go dogs. Hey, George is better now.